Good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I am your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening to Worldwide KFUO. I'm so glad to be in the Word with you today, whether you're tuning in over the air, streaming online, or you uh, have us as a podcast. That's right. You can reach Thy Strong Word using your favorite podcast app. KFU's motto is Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And all these various ways to interact with us and God's Word is evidence of that motto. Thy Strong Word is supported by the good folks over at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Do me a favor and check them out by heading over to lhfmissions.org. Now, if you have questions about today's program or any of our programs, I invite you to reach out to me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Today is Thursday, August 11th, and we have now come to chapter 2 of the book of Romans. And we're going to explore this morning verses 1 through 11. And to help us dissect God's word and apply it to our lives today is the Reverend Neil Wemus at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. Pastor Wemus, thank you for being back on the show. I'm happy to have you as a guest. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Now tell me, I know the folks probably who are listening know quite a bit about you. You're a regular guest. Introduce yourself to me so I can get to know you too. Uh, so yeah, I am uh, an associate pastor here at St. Paul in Ida Grove, and um, I've been here for five and a half years at this point. Um, and I don't know what else to. Well, I grew up, grew up in Ankeny, Iowa. Uh, went to seminary St. Louis. So, well. Well, excellent. I, I am only about two years in here in the southwest corner of Minnesota in Laverne. I spent about seven years in Connecticut before coming here. So I don't really know the area very well. Where might Ida Grove be in comparison to right here on the, the corner of Iowa and South Dakota in Minnesota? Um, it's actually kind of not quite straight south, but not much. Uh, my first call was actually, you know, Cheetah, Iowa, uh, which was just south of Worthington. Um, so um, I remember going to some marching band competitions in Laverne. And yeah. so the Tri-State Band Festival is a is a is a big favorite around here, and yeah. I haven't had a chance to explore it yet. But yeah, that would make sense. Okay, so we're not too. So, but now, but right now, where I'm at, it's about it's a bit south from Laverne, but it's more. It's like straight east of Sioux City, about an hour. Okay, yeah. No, I got it, got it in my head then. That's excellent. Well, how is God working through uh, you and through the saints there in Ida Grove? Anything exciting going on for your congregation? Um, well, right now it's the, the summer. We just got done with the big thing that happened about a week ago was uh, Ragbri, which in the state of Iowa is a huge bike, bicycle event where people bicycle from the Missouri River all the way to the Mississippi River. And, you know, they take a day at a time, and it takes seven days. And so, and there's about 30,000 people that do this thing. 
Oh, and wow. so they, so the overnight stop was here in Ida Grove and it was, I had COVID, so I missed most of it. Oh no. <laughs> um, but anyway, so now that that's finally passed and, you know, I went to the youth gathering in Texas. Now it's just kind of starting to get things stirring for the year. Sure. Uh, we have a lock-in on Friday. Oh, okay. Um, it's every be- pastor's favorite activity, the lock-in. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, then I'll get to preach later the night. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's... that's what, that'll be a zombie sermon. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I love it. But you got to like those, you know, midnight masses kind of things. I think the kids enjoy it. Uh, it it's great. It's, uh, it's actually one of the best... Um, one of the stronger activities we have it's for um, we do it for everybody that's entering sixth through ninth grades. So it's kind of the first thing for the new middle schoolers okay. and the last thing for the others before the, as they're entering into high school. And so um, usually we get like 30 to 40 kids at, at it. And so it's wow. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So it tends to be a really, you know, good, very fun activity, very fun night. And it kind of allows us to begin to set up for youth. And so, because I am the associate, I am the associate. So I work, do, you know, both me and the senior pastor, we, uh, Pastor Salcedo, we pretty well split the duties as to what we do. Um, but I do work a lot with our youth ministry. Excellent. And so, um, right now, things are going pretty good, pretty strong. You know, youth ministry. Uh, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap, but, you know, it can be really rewarding for a pastor. Uh, In my case here in Laverne, we have a a, a very uh, amazing, competent DCE, and she sort of takes charge of the youth, but they're always eager to include me in what they're doing, and I just just love it when that happens. And so, yeah, so you aren't sick with COVID right now, are you? I heard you mention COVID. No, but I still have a lingering cough, which is just driving me nuts. I I completely Uh, understand because I had COVID a couple weeks ago, so that's why I bring it up. Yeah, some reason it only goes off when I'm sleeping. Oh, so it's like, nice. but um, but yeah, going back to youth ministry, one of the things was, um, yeah, youth. I think it's you know so incredibly valuable to have a pastor involved, and um, and you know I go to you know talk about the school year coming up. I'm going to be so involved with the uh, going to football games, volleyball games. Cross country, not as much because it's like, hi, there they are. See you later. Yeah, right. Uh, they run past. <laughs> but I believe, you know, I believe it's so important for uh, pastors to be there, because, especially like in a town like Laverne, for example, or our size is your, you know, it is a center. It's the heartbeat of your community is the school right. districts. And um, I find that it's it's taken a few years, but it's had a lot of dividends in terms of strengthening ministry. Absolutely right. I mean, I've always said that congregations need to be a good neighbor to their community. And of course, the pastor is that visible aspect of being a good neighbor. And just like you said, you know, the the dividends, so to speak, are just about building those relationships. And, you know, the kids really, really do appreciate it, even if they don't always show it. Mm-hmm. So with that lock-in, I don't know that you are going to be preaching on Romans chapter 2. That's our text for today. Um, it's a lot of judgment coming out of this text. We just came out of chapter 1 where we looked at this explicit sin of homosexuality, which was covered. But then, lest we get too comfortable if we don't struggle with that sin, then Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is sure to mention plenty of 
types of unrighteousness where I think we could probably find ourselves. So I'd like to get into the text if that's okay with you, but I'm just going to read the very first verse, chapter 2, verse 1, because the chapter divisions in the Bible, um, they're, they're great for being able to locate things, but kind of tough sometimes to know where to put them. And the way Paul uh, does his uh, logic, the way he lays out his arguments, it's really tough to contain him within a particular chapter. So I'm just going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, and if you can just sort of give us some background and get us started into what we're going to cover today. Chapter 2, verse 1, and I am reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. Here we go. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He begins with, therefore, so there must be some context. Lead us into that, Pastor Wemus. Yeah, that was, that's where I was going to highlight right away is that word, therefore. Um, so uh, one of the things... Um, during the pandemic, uh, when everybody got locked in, one of the things I began doing is doing these recordings. So like I do a daily scripture meditation where we're basically working through the Bible um, and it's uploaded on our Facebook page. And I also do something on TikTok, which is a lot harder to do because you only get three minutes. Um, but every time I get to a passage, I see the word therefore or and or but or whatever. I'm like, and I straight up say, Okay, we got to go back, see what does this say. And we actually just went through Romans a couple weeks ago. We had finished it. And this is begging you to look back at the, the previous passage. And what I love about the whole breakup of Romans is the, ver the start of Romans, these first pretty much three chapters, it is pretty heavy law. There's kind of little whispers of gospel that kind of come through, but it is really heavy law. And so, you know, that verse 26 through 27, which, you know, um, we were talking about that brings up the, probably the most, the big issue of our day. Um, you know, you could imagine it's somebody in our modern day, we'd be reading, we could read that the same way, as they're reading it then, it's like, yeah, make sure you call those people out. You show them. And you read 28 and it starts, and yeah, it's listing off these worst of people and these worst of sins. And, and then he gets to verse chapter 2. He says, then he hits that, therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge practice the very same things. And I think that it's just like every, it's kind of, you know, the, cause he's writing to Jews in Rome. So that's his primary audience. And so he's highlighting the sins of the Gentiles. And so they're rehearing this. And now it's, oh. <laughs> right. Nah. And, and it's even, what I think makes it even more intriguing is so like on our, my daily scripture meditation is we, we the way we, I have it broken up is we went through the first hack, we went through Acts right past the Jerusalem Council. And then we jumped over to Romans and Galatians. 
And the thing is, is when you read Romans in that context, you understand that Romans, like all the other letters he wrote, he's met these people like Galatia, Corinth. He knows this church. But in the case of Rome, he's never met them. This is kind of like his, this is almost like a doctrinal um, treatise to send to this church to gain their support. He's heard about them. He's heard rumors about them, but he's never actually met them. You get this in the book of Acts. Like even in chapter 19, he's still talking about how he longs to go see them. And yet he could still say to them, you condemn yourself because you do the very same thing, even though he's never met them. And which means he could say the exact same thing to us. That's right. I mean, you know, it reminds me of, I would say, the world's favorite, out of context, um, uninformed Bible verse. And that would be, judge not lest ye be judged. Now, we know the greater context of what Jesus is saying. But is this what Paul is saying? Is Paul telling us that we're not allowed to ever call out sin? What does he mean by you know, exactly what does he mean in don't uh, when you pass judgment, you're condemning yourself. Expand that just a little bit. How can we respond to those who say, because we're sinners, we're never allowed to point out the sin either in the world or perhaps even in others? I think that's actually kind of one of those things it's going to, um, this passage is going to kind of lead us to that, to that answer a little bit. Um especially towards the end of the paragraph is he's going to, yeah, verse four, I think it is. Well, why don't we go ahead and knock those out then? And then we'll just keep our discussion going. So continuing now with verse two, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Take it away, Pastor. So so there you kind of get the answer is that um, in verse 4 he says, Um, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And that kind of digs into the, what's the motive? Why are you, you know, what, when you see your, your brother or your sister yell, and you even can talk about, you know, the outside world, um, which actually Paul in Corinth actually says not to worry as much about him, but, not to, you know, he, he kind of has concerns about how much we spend time on that. But, you know, is the motive ego? And, I th- and that's kind and I think especially when you get into judge not lest you be judged, when Jesus is saying that in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount is, I believe that's in the Sermon on the Mount, um, is, you know, a lot of times it is an ego thing. It's we want to show that we are better than the other guy because that is what we want to convince ourselves. You know, I'm really not that bad. Do you see that other guy? And so this is 
striking away at your pride and not letting any of us to stand. And so there in verse four, you get the motivation. Why do we why do we preach the law? It's not to show that we are better than the other. It's not to show how it's not to, um, you know, to bring people down. It is to lead people to the kindness of God that they may repent. And that is, you know, where the, that is the whole point of it. That's the same thing with the, you know, um, judge not if, are you judging for the sake of judging or are you desiring to lead your brother or sister in Christ to repentance that they may receive healing? And that's the difference. I mean, pastor, you're bringing out a great point because if you ask folks who are either unchurched or de-churched and you, you get out there and you figure out what's causing these people not to really want to be part of the church community anymore, a lot of what you'll get is this idea that Christians are hypocritical. So I was having Bible study this morning at 9.30 with uh, my parishioners, and we brought up this idea of, um, actually we were talking about imprecatory psalms of all things, but we brought up this idea of, you know, what's the church's role in judging, or rather I should say, identifying sins that God has already judged to be unrighteous. And is it that the world doesn't like us pointing out sins or is it that the world doesn't like us pointing out sins while at the same time pretending that we are sinless? And I think it's that second thing. It's not that we shouldn't be concerned about sinful behavior, but that we should include ourselves. So I, I don't know, maybe you would agree or disagree, but I feel like Paul is bringing up this idea that judging that the sin in judging is a either it's coming from your own heart, like you said, your motives, right? Are you just identifying what God has already judged to be wrong for the purposes of reclaiming people in the kingdom or calling them to repentance? Um, or are you, you know, are you doing it just to make yourself feel better? Uh, or are you doing it while at the same time you're going out and you're sinning in the same way, but it's just so much easier to point out the sin in others than to repent of your own. Uh, you know, maybe expand on that. How can we take what Paul's saying here and really apply it to our ministries today? Well, I think I think what you're, you know, the the two ideas that you brought forward, um, you know, is it because people don't like to hear sin? I think that's part of it. That definitely does play a role um, because, again, we don't we want to convince ourselves. We want to make our own laws, so to speak. So, I mean, there is always that type of thing. Um, but I think, but yeah, I do believe a lot of it is, is that we, um, we come at it either forgetting our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, or, and sometimes how it could be approached is so, um, you know, nasty. And, you know, going back to the issue that's brought up in chapter one, you look at the, the topic of, well, we'll just straight up say it, um, homosexuality is we hear the stories, uh, we hear about it. It happens where a parent throws their child out of the house um, when they find out. And, you know, that is not, you know, they're at that very moment they're re- breaking their, um, that, their jobs as parents. And, you know, that is 
much strong. It's not coming out of love. It's coming out of anger. And so that's, but I don't have any, there's, you know, how do we handle that directly is a whole nother conversation. But I mean that, but throwing them out or those really extreme things that happen, you know, burning the pictures of your children or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. There, there are ways that in which we as the church have approached various sins Homosexuality does seem to be one of the hot topics of our day, although, of course, even from this very uh, epistle proves to us that it's not a new issue. But there are other sins, too, you know, uh, other marital sins, heterosexual sins, even some of the sins that Paul gets into in verses 28 and following, you know, gossip, maliciousness slanderers, people who are boasty or haughty, people who are disobedient to their parents. We can certainly include parents who are harsh and um, harmful to their children too. You know, it's not that we should ignore sin, and it's certainly not that we should uh, pretend that we don't have any sin, but when we go out and we encounter others who are drowning in their sins and we want them to be saved, you're absolutely right. There are sometimes it's very difficult to know exactly how to approach things, but at the same time, it's often very easy oh. to figure out what ways are not the way to do it. And you're right, completely cutting yourself off from your children because they're struggling with homosexuality, probably not the right approach. In the same way, just going out and presuming that because other sins may be you might consider worse than yours then that's what Paul, I think, is talking about here, judging while at the same time practicing such things yourself. And it's it's kind of interesting is that we, is there something that's kind of, as you just brought that up, I kind of noticed it's kind of hidden in the lines is that we think that the law is the answer to um, people to a changed heart. The law the only real job, the only thing that the the primary task of the law is to convict and show our sin. And, you know, the law isn't, he's not telling you to, he says it right there, knowing the kindness of God's kindness that just sticks out is that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. In other words, it's grace. It's the gospel. It's the love of Christ that is what is leading to, you know, to repentance. And, and this is actually makes a lot of sense because what's going on in Rome, in the, the church in Rome at this point is, and this, there's a reason why um, this is written right around the same time as the Jerusalem council. Um, there's debate whether it was written before or after, Um but it was written in the light of those who are insisting that you had to be circumcised um, in order to be saved. And so what he is dealing with is people who are thinking that you need to keep the law in order to be saved. And he's this is why he's starting out this epistle the way he is. He is stripping that down. He is taking away any um, idea that you stand that you can rely on the law for your salvation because we have all fallen short. And so he's driving us to the kindness of God. And so driving us to the gospel. And so, 
so yeah, it goes back to again: is, is are we being motivated by the law? Or are we motivated? Is the is the is it the law that's leading us, or is it the gospel that's leading us? If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I think that verse four also, I think, forgives us this idea of what we call a cheap grace, right? Or are you presuming on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience of God, which we know are part of God's attributes because he desires all to come to the knowledge and be saved. But how do we, Pastor, how do our people, how do we sometimes misuse God's forbearance and patience? Um, what is this idea of cheap grace? Because I think that's also found perhaps not so much outside the church, but inside the church. You know, Jesus, God is our buddy. He understands. And we know that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, as Paul says. But sometimes that kindness we misuse. Um, how, how do you see that? Yeah, that's kind of a, you know, long, long standing issue. Because when the, you know, when the Reformation happened, uh, you know, the whole charge to Luther was that, you know, if you tell Christians that they could be saved by grace through faith, they're just going to use that as an excuse to live however they want, which admittedly ended up happening. Um, that's why you can read, there's a reason why our catechism starts with the Ten Commandments, was because Christians were not acting like Christians. Um, this is even what gave birth to some of the issues in um, what is known as the pietist movement that had a lot to do with Christians um, abusing the gospel. Um, it's even argued that that's why the epistle of James was wrote, written was because people read what Paul was writing and they said, ah, okay, I can, you know, live the way I want. Um, he's he's going to forgive me anyways. But the thing is, is with Romans, you can't really get away with that unless you just decide to, you know, read to chapter five and then just stop. Because the last part of Romans just completely takes that idea away. Because Romans is Romans is so wonderfully structured of this law, gospel, sanctification type structure. Because, yeah, we're going to deal, as you go through these chapters, you're going to hear him hitting, in chapter three, it hits really, really hard. You get to, there's no one good, no, not, not one. But then you're going to get to that first little, you're going to get that first strong nugget of gospel, the same passage that comes at, at Reformation Day, and then the gospel is going to come st through strong. But in the end, he's going to tell you, okay, this is, you know, um, you know, loving one another. You think, I think especially of chapter 12 and, 12 and 13, he's going to speak to, okay, the now what? Or Romans 6, when he talks about the wonderful baptism passage, you know, do we go on sinning that God's grace may abound? By no means. And so um, this is not meant, this is, it's kind of a, it. this whole thing, it's basically, um, I'm trying to think of the word, <laughs> I'm losing well, it my just, It just, to me, it seems like that in Paul's day, just as in our day, cheap grace, this idea that I can just sin so that grace may abound is very much a problem. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to give you just a few minutes to get your thought, thought uh, process back, but we're going to take a break. And when we come back from our very short break, we will be looking at verses 6 through 11. So thank you so much uh, to the Reverend Neil Weimus, uh, Weimus, pardon me, at St. Paul 
Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. We're going to be back with our esteemed guest in just one moment. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO. The program is Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and joining me this morning to dissect and explore God's Word, as I've said before, is the Reverend Neil Wemus, who is from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. And it's just amazing to have him here. We are digging in to these first 11 verses of chapter 2 in Paul's letter. And the way that Paul structures his arguments, it's it's tough to just sort of fit into a, a chapter and verse structure. So we've been exploring not only some of the context around what Paul's saying, we've been going to other parts of the Bible to bring in how this bears out in Scripture, but we're going to continue now with verse 6 through 11. And we're going to see in these verses that, well, Paul speaks uh, about good works, talks about sinful works, he talks about being self-seeking, he talks about uh, doing evil, but he also talks about the goodness of God. And wrapped up in all of this is this idea of Jew versus Greek uh, in terms of, or Gentile even, in terms of the thought of how one is saved or how one has access to salvation. But uh, let's just get into it, and I'm going to read these last few verses, and then we'll turn it back to our guest and see where we go from here. Verse 6 begins, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And I'm going to cheat a little bit because I just think it's that important. And this is where we're going to pick up tomorrow, but we're going to get into it just a teeny bit today. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And we're going to get into more of that next week, but it's worth the context. And I'm going to turn it back over to our guest. So he's going to render to each one according to his works. Boy, that kind of sounds like works righteousness. Uh, how am I wrong? Well, so this is actually this again going back going to other scripture um, can help but think of going to uh, when Jesus is talking about the separating of the sheep and the goats, 
and you know those who have done good to will go to salvation those who have done evil will go to con go to damnation and so uh and so it kind of it does look like yeah salvation by works this also comes up whenever we do the athanasian creed because it ends with a similar language and the key is to understand is that again this is kind of a a scripture definitely a scripture interprets scripture moment and this coming well i guess it'll be the previous sunday um when you're listening here so this past Sunday, the epistle lesson in the three-year lectionary is um, Hebrews chapter 11. And it talks about that though it is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the simple you know, point is, is that we cannot do any good works apart for um, if we have without faith. And so this is kind of this is kind of where this verse six and um, let's see was where's that other oh, yeah verse six and 11, ten kind of bracket in this sense is that because verse ten it has those peace for everyone who does good kind of given that same thought uh, is only a Christian can ever do good and that's basically it is you cannot do good unless you have faith. And um, it's not. It does not say those who do do good and never ever sin. It says just those who do good. So it reminds me of what Francis Pieper would have described as good works being the token or evidence of our faith. It's sort of uh, empirical evidence that God is with us and that we have faith, and that faith results in good works. So yeah, when Paul points out works of good nature being people who do good and people who are um, searching out to obey the truth as opposed to being self-seeking, that these things, the reason they're saved or the reason they'll have glory is, yeah, because those are evidence of the faith which saves them, not because they've, we've somehow mustered to do enough good works to please God. Does that make, is that kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, and actually, as you brought up that peeper quote, I couldn't help but think of um, the hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, that verse 9 where it says, Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone, and rests in him unceasing, and by its fruits true faith is known, with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify, and then here's the key, works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. Oh, that's and and so like when I'm actually, so the sermon that I'm, you know, for that I will have preached on Hebrews 11 is I'm going to be trying to connect uh, faith through how is it talked about in Hebrews and Paul and um, how James talks about, you know, faith without works is dead. That very famous verse is that he says that because there is no such thing as faith without works. And because faith, by very definition, requires works, um, because faith, um, and this is something I, when I was in Concordia, Wisconsin, I was ironic. I was in a philosophy class that actually um, uh, Doctor Manouche wonderfully laid us very simply laid it out for us the difference between affirmation and faith. There's a difference between saying that you believe that God exists 
and you saying you believe in God, you know, believing that God exists, um, that just creates hatred and creates fear um, because he just exists, but you don't, you, the demons believe that, but they shudder. But faith to put trust in something means there's by its nature works are accompanying it. If that makes sense. Well, and, I love that you, I'd love that you brought out James's statement there. You know, you believe God is one. Well, yeah, good for you. The demons believe that and they shudder. And I, I do see that distinction even in our world today where, you know, this idea that I'm spiritual but not religious or I believe in God, but I don't really know who that God is or as what I would say is um, this secular kind of Oprahism. And that is that, well, I want to do the things that Jesus might want me to do, but I don't want to put my faith, hope and trust in him. And I certainly don't want him to be in charge of my life. And so because we Lutherans do a good job of declaring the true biblical truth that we can't choose Christ or come to him except that the Holy Spirit calls us, then there's this reality that, you know, there's no such thing as a volunteer Christian. You can't go out there and do enough good works in order to earn eternal life. But in Paul's context, and that might be our context, but in Paul's context, when he says that he will render to each according to his works, you know, is there a special, is there a different way that we look at works when we're talking about, you know, these Jews who he is speaking to in contrast to the Gentiles and the different ways that they look at uh, being saved? When he says he'll render each according to each according to his works, and he lists those works, it seems like the Jew and the Greek would have understood that idea of works in different ways. Or maybe I'm misguided. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, definitely, well, the Jews, I mean, the issue, again, going back to it for the Romans is going to be the, the whole circumcision issue is the big issue in hand. And so um, in their minds while they're reading this, um, but again, um, Paul's going to start to, is going to be dealing with this as you go farther through Romans, um, even talking about holy days, like one person esteems one day higher than another. Uh, those type of issues. But, and there is even something to be spoken of, and I know it's, um, and it's kind of a whole nother topic, but there is that discussion of, there is kind of this, um, there's a degrees of where, where people are going to be when you get into eternity. Um, but, but ultimately, while it may, how they are the way a Jew and a Greek is going to hear that phrase is going to be different. Ultimately what is asked for is going to be the same because ultimately they're both still under that, um, that new covenant. And, um, but it's interesting is that, you know, he talks about the Jew first and also the Greek is this, this is speaking not so much that, you know, Jews are more important than Greeks, but more that, the Jews were the first chosen people. And again, this is something that's going to come out as we go, as you go through Romans is he's going to highlight that these were, these were the, these were God's chosen people. This is, you know, the, you know, everything that's written in the old Testament, it's tracing through their lineage. And so, yes, this salvation came through the first. Well, Jesus himself is Jewish. And so it's from, 
them first. So as we look back on all of this text, what are some points that maybe we need to bring out that um, I haven't asked about or, or you know, we just sort of are glossing over? So I'm, I'm kind of just kind of, glan- kind of um, going through this. And, you know, verse 7, um, it, you know, seeking for glory and honor and immortality, um, he will give eternal life. And so the glory and honor will be the glory and honor of God. Um, obviously not glory and honor of, you know, I won the Super Bowl type thing. Um, and I'm pretty certain that's what Paul has in mind. <laughs> Very cool. um, especially when you get into verse 8, which is, and it's, it's kind of actually in, this is such an interesting, you know, that back-to-back of seven and eight is so interesting to read in our context and it had to have been for the Romans because the Romans were all about the glory of the empire. You know, the, the might of their military, the, you know, they had the Colosseum and they had the games and all that type of thing. And, you know, Paul would allude to the athletic competitions else in some of his other epistles and in our culture, you know, we are all about glory, honor, and immortality on television or in the annals of, you know, sports history and things like that. And so, you know, we would read, oh, yeah, we got to seek that glory and honor. But verse 80 says, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. And so right away, he's telling you this glory, honor, and immortality is not what you think it is. It's not how we would define glory and honor and immortality because all of those things about, you know, maybe being the top, you know, an influencer on social media even, those are all about our own glory, our own honor, our own immortality. It's all about our, um, basically, it's our self-seekingness. And so it's very interesting that he shifts that so quickly from what you would expect it to be. And he has this phrase, do not obey the truth. And the truth is, well, specifically Christ, Um, you know, faith in him. And so, and it's interesting, it says obedience to the truth. And that's how, that this righteous, this is going to affirm what he's going to get to eventually, that the um, righteous live by faith. And I think, that was in the recording yesterday, I'm assuming, right? Right, the absolutely, pre-recording. yes. So. We, uh, but, but there is this idea that we are saved by the righteousness that comes by faith. But I think when people are looking forward, when they think of the day of the Lord coming, just kind of popping back to five in, con- in, in light of what you've been talking about, you know, on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed— and then it goes into what we've been talking about. He will render to each according to his works. And you aptly explained why works are products of our faith. The course in works go to serve our neighbor, at least good works do. But this day of the Lord, this day of Yahweh, um, I think of Amos 5 where he says, Woe to you who are desiring the day of Yahweh. Why would you have the day of Yahweh? It is darkness and not light as if a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or he goes into a house and leans his hand against the wall and a serpent bites him. Is not the day of Yahweh darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness? Uh, Zephaniah comes in with some similar thoughts, but there's this idea that 
everyone just thinks that when Yahweh returns, when God returns, when Jesus returns, it's just going to be this wonderful day. But this he <coughs> renders to each according to his works gives us, a, at least should give us some pause, right? Are we looking forward to that day? Well, those who are in Christ can not be afraid, can fearlessly look forward to the day of Christ's return. But what about those who think that they're doing good, but really they're just self-seeking and not obeying the truth? Um, how would you, how would you, you know, speak to someone who says, I'm not afraid of the coming of God uh, because I do, I'm a good person or I do good works or maybe, <coughs> believe, or maybe they just don't believe in God. Well, it's interesting is, you know, follow along that thread, even going farther into verse nine, where he says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. And and that's, it, you know, he says the Jew first on that time as well. So twice he does his Jew first and also the Greek. And, you know, honestly, you read those words, it's terrifying to read. Um and is and I don't think it's something that we could actually look with comfort. Um, is there comfort to come? Sure, but that initial and there's it's got to give us some distress. Um, for one, if we're, our confidence is in ourselves, um, if we are self-seeking, we are seeking our own glory, our own honor, whatever. Um, you know, our faith is in our if our faith is in ourselves, which Let's face it, we are our own favorite idol. And then we have much to fear. And and let's and the thing is, is honestly, our culture very much is driven towards that. And I was actually I was kind of thinking about this um, when I was preaching a sermon the other a couple of weeks ago, is why I try to try and I'm planning to write an article for our local paper on this. Um, we'll see when that happens, uh, is why it is so important to have your kids in, uh, in church, hearing the gospel, receiving the sacrament regularly, being part of a youth ministry. I mean, I'm promoting that too. The reason is, is because throughout their lives, they are, you know, they're in school, they're in sports and all that. And everything they do is a, is a measurement. Even even something that is wonderful as, you know, like 4-H or whatever. They're being judged by their the quality of their work. And, you know, how well did you do raising this cattle? Um, how does your, um, that photograph look like? Um, how good are you doing on your, your three-point shot or your free throws? Um, how are you doing, you know, running the ball? Um, how good are you ser- making that serve in volleyball? How are you running your, um, how are you getting those hurdles? Are you jumping right? Are you jumping at the right time? Um, how's your handoff? Everything is about judgment. And um, if you're good at it, people are going to praise you and lift you up like none other. And if you fail, everyone's going to show how you failed. They're going to talk about it. They're going to gossip about it. And it sets us up for the mindset we have in this world that, it is all about me, what I've done, what I am doing. And there is, and honestly, following that should leave us an absolute terror of the tribulation, distress, every human being who does evil, because 
there is no one who is going to be flawless in everything. You know, there's a whole debate as who's the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. No matter who you answer that, both of them, you're going to find loads of failure. Uh, Michael Jordan had less than a 50% shot percentage. So, I mean, that tells you no matter how good you are, you have plenty of failure. And relying on ourselves just is not at all comforting. And it's terrifying. And hopefully that's, again, why drive to the word, to the sacrament, is because our reliance leads straight to Christ because on us, we are just going to fall every time in Christ. Right. So we, even our, even our good works and our merits don't equal the level of, you know, Jordan or LeBron's ability to play basketball. But even if playing basketball well was the entrance, the key to the entrance to heaven, yeah. then you're right. Even if, even, either if they could arguably be called the greatest of all time, it doesn't mean that they're good enough to be perfect. And I think that that's absolutely a good point to make to folks because you can go out there and you can be the Hebrew of Hebrews, as Paul says, and keep the law perfectly as, as perfectly as one can. And it's still not going, going to be enough, mostly because the law was never designed to be salvific, that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. And so what I really love about Paul's work here is that that very last line, verse 11, for God shows no partiality. We know that he's setting up to describe uh, how Jews and Gentiles are on an equal plane, that each of them will uh, enter heaven by the same means, faith in Christ. But he hasn't gotten there yet. Right now, he's just sort of making this argument that um, – Works are indicative of your position of faith, that there are people who do bad, there are people who do good. But this idea that God shows no partiality extends beyond just the idea of Jew and Greek, but also to the idea of when he looks upon you, he is looking for his son Jesus, because Jesus is the only perfect one uh, that we can rely on. For, for salvation, not ourselves, not others, um, nobody but Jesus. And so I think that that's uh, really what he's trying to set up here before he digs in to this idea that all have sinned. And um, if they if they have no law like the, the Greeks, then they will perish without the law. And if they have the law, then they're going to perish under the law because they are going to be judged by the law. So this no partiality is going to be expanded tomorrow when we cover it in more depth but yes thank you so much for you know packing unpacking these passages for us and preparing us for a great conversation um anything else you'd like to add as we just have a few minutes left in our program well just kind of building off what you just said going into that no partiality um again i got to go to go to galatians and i honestly believe that if you read romans I think it's so good to read Galatians right after Romans or right before. Read them together because um, they were written very close together chronologically. And they're written with the same issue in mind, the issue of circumcision. But verse 28, he says, there is night. So verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all 
one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So that's kind of a folding out that no partiality. Um, and, you know, quite often people make this mistake and say, see, God doesn't see male or female. He's not talking about his relate. He's not talking about our horizontal relationships or relationships to one another. To one another, ultimately male, female, there's differences. But when you're talking about your relationship to Christ, as you said, and it's actually interesting, that's how does he begin that? He says with verse 27, all who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, or I like the much better translation, have been clothed in Christ, is because there is no Jew or Greek, no male or female, no, because he only sees Christ. And that has to do with that. Um, that's what our relationship is to him. There's no partiality. There's just Christ. Those who stand apart from Christ, there again, no partiality. You are, he sees only your, your evil, your sin. And that is where that judgment um, becomes terrifying, becomes an issue. That's absolutely right. You know, we see this idea of no partiality in the Old Testament as we are taught several times about how Yahweh does not look upon the nature of man or the rather I should say the outward appearance of man or his accomplishments, but he looks at the heart and we think of how he chose David to be king. And we could even think about Peter in Acts and he's uh, in the home of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, and he says, Truly, I understand that God is not one who shows partiality, but in every nation, the person who fears him and works righteousness is acceptable to him. So how does that, where does that fear and works come from? It comes from faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith is a gift. And that's where we're going to end our program today, just this beautiful reminder that Yes, God's going to render each to each one according to his works, but our works, our good works, are nothing but filthy rags except that they have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. They flow from the faith that God has given us. I'd like to invite my guest to conclude our program today in prayer, if you would. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we know that we we are no better off than anyone else. We stand broken. We stand guilty. All we have to do is look at your commandments and we see our sin. And even our works are but filthy rags. So we look to your grace. We look to Christ who has washed us in the water and the word. And we pray that you'd give us hope and strength in his gospel. And that it would not be excuse to live as if we are not his, but it's rather it would be excuse to live as his children, to bear his name into the world. We pray your blessing and your mercy and wisdom on all on your word and on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Children loved by God, you have been listening to Thy Strong Word and our guest, the Reverend Neil Wemus of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and I'm inviting you to join us tomorrow as we continue to explore Paul's letter to the Romans. Until then, God's peace and blessings to you all.